Welcome back to another episode of Natural Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. Always a pleasure to have you guys on. Uh, we never take it for granted. We love uh, getting together to talk and uh, get over some some topics with you guys. So welcome once again. Raf, how are you, man? Good, man. I'm uh, tired, but I'm, I'm good. Uh, training's been really good where I'm at. Um, really having fun flying the uh, 737. Uh, but you know, at the end of every training session, my, my brain is mush. Um, but the instructors we have are awesome. Um, you know, just, I, I don't know. I have no, I have zero complaints. I feel very fortunate to be in the position that I'm in, but obviously it's taxing and it's exhausting because you're trying to always put your best foot forward every day and you know, it all catches up to you. So but I'm, the, I'm happy to be here, man. Has the, uh, the grand school effectively finished Raf and they just doing simulators or is it alternating still with ground school and simulator events? Nah. So it's all, so now it's, uh, so the ground portion of it is for the most part complete and it's all just simulator, full motion simulator. And we're in there for about, I don't know, I would say a total of just shy of five hours. We get just over two hours a piece. Um, and then there's briefs in the front side, which are usually about two hours and about an hour post brief. So it's, you know, it's uh, it's good. Yeah, man, I love it. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, it's exact. Like I'm saying, it's exhausting physically because people don't understand. You know, when we go into like manual reversion, like when we will simulate emergencies where they take the hydraulic systems off, uh, and you have to really muscle to, you know, especially on approach, and it just, yeah, it, it gets uh, pretty crazy. And this is kind of a touchy subject, but. You know, everyone knows about the 737 MAX when it crashed in Ethiopia, and I can't remember the other airline, but that's something that uh, all airlines around the world are taking very seriously, especially the American uh, airlines. So we go through quite extensive training on how to combat if we did have an MCAS kind of go array on us and how to mitigate that. And it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that, you know, there's some real engineering that went into it. Um, I, I, I can go into it for hours, but it's, it's just, I would just be nerding out. The point is it's, it's been really impressive to the degree, the pH level stuff that I'm getting from these, from these instructors on if that scenario was ever to occur in my cockpit. And it just gives me tons of confidence. It's like, that's when, you know, like you, you've joined the right team, right? When you're fighting every day, just to like hold, hold your weight with these guys. Cause they're just that good. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, there's some awesome engineering and it's it, like, I'd expect no less and that the training would be at the level to match the engineering that's gone into the systems, right? And so covering recent, you know, faults that have occurred with aircraft types, that's that's exactly why aviation has such an incredibly low accident incident rate, right? We just never stop. That's really good to hear, yeah. man. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And how about you, Mike? Yeah. How you doing, man? What have you been up to? Well, it's so nice to hear about the aviation side of it and the good thing because I sat well I went out to Kansas City this past weekend for the playoffs and I went to the Steeler game go Steelers and, uh, yeah go Steelers but I, honestly it was not expecting a win but it was uh, Ben Roethlisberger's last game and it was a playoff atmosphere and you know going out to the Kansas City was really nice so by the way the the city was great the barbecue was amazing and the the fans were actually some of the nicest that I've that I've met out of all the other 30, 31 other sports teams. Uh, they're actually pretty nice and, and very welcoming. So we went out there, had a great time. Uh, the irony of the aviation portion, like I was getting into, is on my way back, uh, I flew in connection with Dallas, and I sat in Dallas for three hours on a plane and listened to these pilots going, oh, ladies and gentlemen, uh there's bags coming to the plane uh we'll be up shortly uh and i was like this this has to be raf's doing like there's he's on this plane getting trained or something i don't know but it was just like three hours i didn't get home till like 2 a.m and i barely slept got up went to work and i was like those those pilots i'll tell you what man they just they're up there coking and joking had a few months too much to drink the night before they're 
drinking uh, gin and tonics or some water to catch up and be like, all right, dude, I'm ready to fly. We'll tell them there's six bags waiting outside the plane, you know, some bullshit, you know? <laughs> so it's, I don't know, whatever. You guys right, Raph, Raph just made a few phone calls. He heard you're in Kansas city. He, yes. he, he figured out which flight you'd be on. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, yeah, you got a uh, ball. Balding Caucasian in the back with a tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> so <laughs> that's how that works. But no, other than that, pretty good. A little bit uh, excited. Tomorrow is my, I know we did talk about an episode for interview, but tomorrow is my interview for my position tomorrow morning. So uh, immediately following this, I'm going to get some last minute brain cramming in and, and prep and then wake up early and get, get it in again. And then, uh, Go crush it, man. Go knock it out of the park. I know that this is a big deal and you've been prepping for it. As an overview for the people who've listened to that interview prep episode, which I think is an excellent one. I know that's been very shared very very widely among first responders and in outside military circles as well. Would you say that you've done anything grossly different or has anything come up for you that in your interview prep for this one that you're like, oh, that'd be, you know, that was something I hadn't thought of before that episode? Uh, yeah, definitely. Listening to Raph's most recent stuff when he was talking about uh, his prep, his attitude kind of going in and um, really hitting the books. So I've had to go back and hit my books. Uh, and it's a little bit of everything, man. There, there's like tactics, situations, there's uh, uh, strategy, uh, directives that are coming down, like, hey, where do these come from? And uh, and then also just situational, you know, hey, in this situation, what would you do and why? you know, and, and they want to hear the answer. Um, I would say the, there's the book answer and then there's your answer and they want to kind of see how you communicate that. But, uh, I would say that the biggest part is the mental prep, you know, of, uh, going into it with a positive attitude and just being confident. I think that's like always the biggest hurdle, but yeah, I, I feel prepared. You know, I, I did a practice one yesterday and, you know, they hit, they hit me with some weird questions and really like try to snowball me a, a little bit and it worked. I'm not going to lie at the one, but I was like, all right, where are you going with this? Just stop because they were, they were really trying to get me in the rabbit hole there, but, uh, it was a good exercise. So lots of practice, just like anything else, repetition iterations. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm, I think it's mine to lose if I'm being honest. Well, you heard it here, everybody putting into application the stuff that we've been talking about recently i know that um raf and i both would definitely be uh proponents of the fact that the preparation getting the prep to the right level is what gives you the confidence you start off with that sense of confidence and then you know you just build from there versus you've gone in there slightly underdone you, you don't feel the confidence when the door opens the first question unsettles you and you're in a downward avalanche right and so i'm just a massive proponent for everyone in the flying game and every other game that uh, preparation builds that confidence for you and lets you, uh, you know, put your best foot forward. So good luck with that, man. It's going to be great. Yeah. Right. Over here. We've, um, we've had a very quiet seven days. We've, we've uh, all been in lockdown because Jerry uh, and the kids all positive for coronavirus. I was somehow, I've stayed, uh, negative on my PCR tests throughout it, but we just all had to lock down. It's, it's obviously circulating a lot right now. It's, it's over here a lot. It's in Europe, North America, Australia. Um, most likely they don't tell you what, what strain you've had, but I'm assuming it was probably the Omicron one. We haven't talked a lot coronavirus recently, but um, you know, my family are all vaccinated and we all had really minor symptoms. It was just a couple of days of sort of flu and cold, type symptoms we just went hard on vitamin d and everyone got through it really quickly and really well and so today we're uh we're all coming out of isolation and returning back to normal uh operations it's a i mean i've followed the science i think and we've, we've just done whatever we've been asked to do by the people in white coats who've done a lot of training and you know this one we've come through pretty quick did you have something to say there, Raph? Yeah, I was going to say we come up around the same time that uh, that was happening to you guys. We kind of had similar events. Um, I don't I don't even I don't remember if I even spoke about it, but um, 
I started ground school with 22 people and about eight or nine came down positive with, with, uh, with COVID Omicron. I mean, it's literally what's, you know, running across the country right now. It's 99% of all cases are literally Omicron. So, um, I mean, everybody's fine, but obviously those eight or nine people were um, basically told to isolate and they're going to be put into later classes. But I say that because I went home, I was sick for a little bit, but I had never thought I had Omicron until, you know, uh, my classmates started saying that they were testing themselves. I honestly just thought I had like the flu or something. So I went home to hang out with Aubrey and little man. And, uh, you know, a couple of days later, she, uh, she was like, Hey, I think you gave me, you know, she's like, I think I have COVID. So she went, she got tested and sure enough, she had it. So she's finishing up her version of isolation and kind of like you, it was really like a flu like symptoms for a couple of days. I think it might've lasted two days. Um, but like you, we've, you know, especially Aubrey, I mean, she's really healthy and she's keeps up on all the vitamins and that sort of thing. And, you know, works out. And I don't think, you know, um, she really changed her routine all that much. I mean, other than she was in isolation, she was up on our property, but anyways, it, I'm just bringing that up because it seems like Omicron has literally touched every corner of the earth. I think the last time I saw it was like in the United States, it literally accounts for over 99%. So let's just call it a hundred of all the cases in the United States, which is a good sign, right? Cause it's not as lethal as the original or the Delta, even though it is more contagious, which, so it's, it's a good thing. I feel like the end is absolutely near. I think it's damn near here if it's if it's not you know just around the corner which is nice man it's a relief yeah i mean none of us are scientists and we don't play them on the internet but like i've heard some senior epidemiologists as a professor i follow in australia at melbourne university professor blakely who talked about this one he was hoping it'd be like a grass fire that it just goes through real fast doesn't do any lasting damage and hopefully uh confers a, a level of natural immunity for the people, you know, either topping up a, a vaccine or the people who haven't had a vaccine and hopefully get some immunity with one while it's less dangerous. And hopefully that helps it out, us all out with the next, you know, another variant that might be more dangerous. Yeah, I, I'm personally, I'm, you know, I, I think I caught it around Christmas time, but if I'm being honest, I'm really looking forward to the, to the next variant, which I know is coming. And I hope it's the, uh, I hope it's the Rogaine variant and i hope i catch it <laughs> I'll, I'll be down for about six to seven weeks but i'll come back looking like a new man so I'm, fingers crossed boys fingers crossed i don't know that that's one of the i mean none of us wanted to learn the greek alphabet this way right but <laughs> yeah oh my it's funny after hey. doing your best to avoid it for such a long time and it's been circulating the world for more than two years and so on the kids were actually quite scared when we got the results for them. And it was, you know, just, we just had to come right down and let them know everything was going to be okay. And, you know, we've got great medical support and so on here, but it was an interesting mental space to be in after, you know, this thing has been the only thing in the, the news for such a long time to finally have it and just go through it. And it was, uh, it was, it was good for the kids to go through and see that, you know, it was, everything was fine. We've been doing everything for a reason. What are you going to say there, Raph? Yeah, it was just because uh, um, it was on top of my head. But uh, I reached out to a good friend of ours, our, our Tongan friend. I uh, just kind of reached out. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen or heard about the, um, the underwater volcano that exploded. And it wasn't far from off the island of, of Tonga. And I just, you know, I just was going to bring up to see if you, I just sent our friend some, some text messages to make sure that, you know, uh, just to see if it, you know, if there's anything we could do for that community at the time, this was uh, two days ago at the time, our friend said that, uh, you know, the communications were literally non-existent because the comm lines were down. Um, but I think things might've changed within the last 24 hours. And I know there's some, some satellite images that are coming out from like some of the devastation. So, um, but they don't really know any sort of toll numbers or the, the gravity. They just uh, clearly they were the closest, you know, um, Island, I guess, uh, out of all the atolls uh, to the, uh, I guess, to ground zero. So just thoughts and prayers, man, you know. Um, I, know all, I watched I'll, a video from that on the satellite, man, and it showed the eruption. And it, I was trying to put myself in, in that perspective of being on an island, okay? You're out in the middle of the Pacific in an island and an explosion. 
explosion happens where you're literally cut off from the rest of the world, right? So from all the ash and everything else and stuff that's in the air and the comm lines are down, I mean, literally stuck on an island with no comms, nobody knows your status. I mean, that's terrible. I mean, whole, that is whole, absolutely terrible. The whole country is not very high, high above sea level, right? And it's a very, very poor part of the world. I mean, very happy and, and healthy people from everything that Sione tells us and uh, our other friends. I know some of my some of my old students actually got some of the first images back. Australia sent some surveillance aircraft over to get that early intel while they're sending some uh, emergency aid via ship. So they've sent a couple of um, P-8 Poseidon maritime patrol aircraft, a, a C-17, C-130 have gone over and are getting imagery so that they can start to plan, get some better in- intel for planning uh, the aid provision. I had the thought that we could probably um, stay in contact with uh, Sione and if there's some official uh, charity uh, sites that we can maybe get donations in on, we'll, we'll include them in the show notes or in, in the next episode if that's when uh, the information comes in. But certainly, you know, aid to the, to the people in the Pacific at this time will go a long way to help them. And they've also got a, a dual threat of, they're basically being 100% coronavirus free the whole time. And there's the, the vaccination and, you know, national immunity is going to be quite low there. And they've got a concern about the aid workers coming in that might spread it with them. So there's, there's some pretty strong uh, concern. And I'm sure that there's going to be pretty serious devastation given the low-lying nature of the landmass there and the scale of that eruption that you referred to, Mike. So mm. thoughts and prayers to, the, to our... Uh, Polynesian cousins in the South Pacific and uh, we'll do our best to get information where we can and if people want to contribute to that, that'd be uh, much appreciated. Hmm. All right. Q&A. Mr. Mike, you got some uh, questions from Reed, from listeners? Yes, we put out a post, uh, I believe it was this morning, because uh, that's when I had time, so I apologize. <laughs> but <laughs> I was too busy with the airline. Um, so we got back and I put out a post just saying, Hey, you know, we always love reaching out and talking to the listeners and Hey, what do you have for us? Uh, what would you like to hear? What would you like to know? Anything else like that? Um, I, I got a couple of responses. Um, but also I just got some messages too, that were just like, Hey, no questions. Just want to let you guys know that we appreciate you. I really like the last, there was a lot of feedback from the last two episodes, uh, with Adam and April, uh, that they were, you know, getting back of just like, how awesome it was for them to be that honestly brave to be able to talk about the things that they did and go through. And uh, there was just so much response about like the words that, that were there that I saw was brave, uh, the courage, um, love, hope, uh, all, all that. Every message contained something like that. So that was really cool to see just to see some support. Uh, but I had, uh, two questions that I got just from today, and Raph, I know you had one, and Melanie probably got one too. Um, but this first one, <clears throat> and it was referred to in a previous episode, is the question for us would be individually, what would your legacy say about you? So I think that really came from talking with Adam and uh, some of the decision-making that he had to change his life. Uh, the discussions came around legacy. And that, I guess that hit home with some listeners. Um, so let's kick it off with Raph. What would your legacy at this point say about you? And I would, I would ask you past that is how do you, how do you feel about it? Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel like you could do more or are you not, not satisfied? Um, I, I feel that's a good, that's, that's a really good question. Um, but I think it's obviously kind of complex because People are complex. Um, I, I think that uh, if I have a legacy so far, it's the fact that, you know, coming from migrant parents, coming to the United States, you know, first generation American, I feel like I've done a pretty decent job kind of setting the conditions for anyone. It does, they don't, you don't have to be Mexican descent. You can be from any ethnicity, any background. But if you are first generation American, I feel like, and if you know me, um, I, I feel like I've done a good job kind of setting a good road to, uh, to, for success and just being a productive member of our society. Um, but more importantly, uh, I'd like to think that my legacy has been that, you know, I, 
my name has always been synonymous with more than more than willing to help um, anyone that I that I know, whether it's just a quick hint, like whether I just met you in the hallway or we've been friends for, you know, 40 years or whatever. Um, I'd like to think that my legacy is the fact that uh, I, you know, I'm trying like I I'm very grateful for my situation. I've, I've said this before and I really, truly mean it. I, I feel like I've won the human the human lottery being an American citizen. Um, and I. Yeah, if I could just kind of bluntly put it, I feel like my legacy is the fact that I didn't squander it. Right. I didn't just kind of, uh, as Melon likes to say, I didn't fuck it away. I mean, I do fuck away a lot of things, but I feel like um, I didn't I didn't do that with some of the opportunities um, that I've been that I've been given. I've been very, very fortunate. And, you know, I probably don't do this often, but I do do it a lot is I recognize, you know, where, where my dad, like especially today I recognize where my dad was when he was 45. And I think about where I'm at when I'm now that I'm 44, going to turn 45. Uh, and then I think about the conditions that I've set for my son when he's 45. And I, and I, in my, in my heart, in my brain, I, I think that he's going to go further than I am. Right. He's going to hopefully have accomplished significantly more and affected more people in a positive way. That that's my hope. I just, I hope that I've set the conditions for that. And I hope that I solidify those conditions a little bit better as time goes. I just want to jump in for people just to, to remember Rafa shared with us previously that he could have gone down the path of uh, criminal activity and gang activity, which was really rife around him as a young man. He shared recently that he was doing seasonal fruit picking with his dad, picking strawberries, watching aircraft do circuits at the local uh, aerodrome near that farm as a young man. And this is a guy who's done multiple combat tours, was a... Uh, a medic in his first iteration, and then a Black Hawk pilot, special forces support, medevac, ISR work, and now airline pilot. You know, I think I think that's a pretty profound legacy you're leaving there, Raf. You know, like I just want to, I want, I want to acknowledge you for what you've done in a generation. I think it's an extraordinary thing, an extraordinary thing. I, I appreciate that, man. It really does mean a lot. Um, but I think it would mean more to me if I know that the things that I've done motivates or just helps inspire, you know, others around me. And it doesn't have to be younger people. It can be older people. Like it, I, I literally just had this conversation. I was uh, jump seating to work and uh, I was talking to an older gentleman. He's one of the flight attendants and he's 60 years old. And, you know, we started talking about surfing. But he just kind of in the middle of the conversation, he said, you know, I've always wondered what it would be like to be a pilot. And I said, man, it's never too late. I was like, you would be surprised. Um, you know, you, 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 it would just surprise you how, how it could be a thing that you might be really good at and you might just be a natural. Um, and I was like, and there's resources out there and there's people that own planes. And you, I was like, if you just, if you just ever cross paths with anyone with a plane, I just be friendly and ask them if they'd be willing to take you up, you know, and then that might just be the thing you need to do to, to, to do your thing. So anyways, you talked about surfing a lot, but we also talked a lot about aviation. I just said, right before I walked away, I said, Hey man, honestly, don't pass it up. If it's something you think you're interested in, even if maybe you won't make it to a major airline, who cares? But if you can just get your pilot license, even, a uh, you know, just your, your, just your basic pilot license, it'll just give you that freedom. And it's still, still that, you know, that, um, sense of freedom and accomplishment like you're a legitimate pilot you've got your you've got your your license even if it is just a private right like you didn't have it before and he just i don't know i'd, I'd like to think that maybe you're down the road too this dude would be out there in his little plane just thinking you know that crazy haired mexican kid he was talking to who just jump seat on his flight we did swap numbers so i'll probably reach out to him and you know see how he's doing from time to time it's funny, right? Words of encouragement and encouraging someone to follow a dream or a passion. They're all what they're like. That is like putting water on the fertile ground, you know, putting the seeds on the fertile ground and just because we all know like a word here or there for us change really ch changed us, you know, like the, the opportunities that have come to us, but just at a school teacher or a mentor at some point saying something positive or just that encouragement to follow your dreams. That's a that's well, a wonderful thing to do, Raf. I think what's important is, you know, and I'm Mike, and I'm sure you could probably talk about this too, because the shoes that you fill are, you know, I don't know what the statistics are. I know it's the pass rate is less than 10%. So obviously there's a lot of young men that try to kind of 
be in your shoes. But what I'm trying to get at is somewhere along the line, somebody or something convinced you that you could do it too. Because there's no doubt in my mind that you were full of doubt, right? Because you were never on the inside. It's not like you grew up with someone in that community, um, in, in your immediate close knit circle. So uh, kind of like me, you know, aviation was never, it was, I might as well have been talking about being an astronaut because it was such a, it was like so out of reach. Uh, but it was like later in life where I had met individuals who said, no, man, you not only can you do it, but I think you would be very successful. And so I think sometimes people just need to hear that. Like, look, man, I'm on the inside. I'm telling you right now, it's well within your grasp. Yeah. Uh, I I've heard before it's, you know, kind of dreams can just be dreams or it can be reality, but the difference is it takes action to make it reality. Right. So I think a lot of people dream and they have great ideas. Oh, I want to do this. I want to go there. But if you don't, you know, take the step, just showing up sometimes, right. One, you just got to show up, but you got to be willing to take the next step and the next one and, and, and have that commitment in order to go, uh, that anything's possible. And you're right, Raph, you know, I grew up in Western PA, dude, there's no, there's no ocean there. I couldn't even swim till I was 14, you know? So I was, dude, I was, uh, I was a hundred and 160 pounds at six foot one. I was a skinny string bean, you know, and I had multiple, multiple people tell me, oh, you'll never make it. You can't do this. And I even had a doctor tell me I couldn't do it. He's like, oh, you better find a new job, man, or a new career because you ain't going to make it. Like you physically can't do this um, for my body type and also my eyes, which was a lie. So I'd like to go back and, uh, you know, give him a nice tap on his head and be like, ah, wrong diagnosis. But yeah. But no, I would like to echo what Mellon said is, is Raph, uh, and, and with Mellon too, but particularly with Raph and, you know, it's about 10 years now that, uh, this year that our relationship has, has really gone to the next level. And, uh, when I, when people talk about you, I think about legacy and kind of what we built over the last 10 years and, Kind of, I kind of want myself to kind of go this with other people when I think about it, which I'll, I'll talk about, but it's kind of like this mountain that's behind me that's been through so much stuff, but the mountain's still there um, and it's solid. And it's just when people come up to me and they're like, hey, how's Raph or something relating to you? I just like kind of look at them and I'm like, what do you have to say about Raph? Like in a prideful way, like... I don't know if there's words to describe it, man, but like it, that your, your legacy is so powerful to me in our relationship. And it's just very cool. Uh, it's kind of a nonverbal thing where I like kind of swell with pride of being like, yeah, that guy's in, in my corner. That guy's in my life. He's, he's like a brother to me. Um, I take a lot of pride in your legacy, man. So I, you know, good job. I'm not, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you said as well, Raph really reminded me, um, episode 67 we had liz on it was an episode about mentoring women right and she talked about as a young girl in high school just getting that encouragement from two two people that she could she had what what it took that she could do something amazing and it changed the course of her life and you never know what what, what's going to come from encouraging someone and it costs you nothing and you know, you're putting positivity out into the world. Like, I, like I'm really big on with the kids, with my kids, never, ever, ever say you can't do that if they're talking about something. It's always like we will support you and you can do anything. Like we, we will encourage you to follow your dreams. You know, and finding whatever anyone's passion is, 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 you know, it's not always the first, it's not always obvious. Certainly, certainly it's with Annie with the music, but it's like pour fuel on the passion and encourage them to follow their dreams and, why would you not do that? And how many, you know, bad, you know, bad movies do you have like parents yelling at kids and, you know, that, that meme in books and stuff where a child's told that they can't do it. And you just think, why would you do that as an adult? Why would you crush that aspirational hope? And, you know, whether they end up doing that initial dream or not, you're teaching them to, to follow your passion, to put energy and time and resources into it and to see what's going to come. It's a strange thing to me to hear when I, like I've heard people say, like I've, <laughs> I've had parents tell me that kids I coach, you know, that oh, he's never going to be any good or she's never going to do this. Anything, man. 
Well, since you're talking about coaching and kind of the influence you had, Mellon, what's, how would you define your legacy at this point in time? Well, it's a, it's a big question, right? Like just after Cherry and I got married, we, we did a, um, a couple of courses with a, an organization called Landmark Education and their first course is called The Forum. And they're really big on this. And like I, so I heard this when I was, man, when was this? This is like 2004. While you were still in primary school, Mike, the, they were really big on their definition of legacy is in a hundred years from now, when you're all dead and gone, like how is the world going to be different by you having been here, whether that's positive or negative. And they were really big on it. They were like, what's going to be on your tombstone? What, what's going to be, what's your legacy? And they really define that. And that's been something that I've, I've found also in the writings of Stephen R. Covey. He had a big thing on to live, to love, to learn and to leave a legacy, the last of his four L's. And probably a lot like Raph, when you've got kids, that's really a, a, a massive focus. It's a thing for me. I know it's a thing for Raph. We talk about a lot as parents and that's a very immediate um, legacy. It's very obvious. And, and I like to think that um, that there's been a real transformation in certainly Annie's life of, of what she was, where she started at as a 23 week prem and then the vision impairment and like it was severe developmental delay as well as a baby, which I've not really talked about before. For her to get to where she is now, I know as a, it's a lot to do with her, it's a lot to do with the doctors, but it's also a lot to do with the environment she's been in and the parenting certainly that Cherry's put into her and, and I've tried to support her in that. And, you know, I, I like to think that she'll be able to fully follow her dreams as an adult. Like I know, I know she'll do that. And, and part of what I've been doing over here has been building some financial resources and so on so that she will never have to worry about, um, you know, I'd like to think that I'll be able to put her off on a good, a good start to life. So she'll actually be able to follow her dream. You know, I could see her on a cruise ship playing piano or drums. <laughs> cruising around <laughs> the happiest, happiest woman in the world doing whatever she wants to do. And, you know, the same thing uh, with my son, with Michael, I like to think that he'll be, he'll be encouraged and um, all, all the love and resources I, I, I like to think will be provided for him um, to follow his dreams. Another one that I want to, I, I want to say is um, providing adult mentors who are not mum and dad to these two kids has been a really big deal that w I, I understood this as a, a theory. I had an old commanding officer who introduced me to this idea of these mentors for kids before, before Annie was born. And like you two idiots are two of the mentors that my kids turn to and, and you will be in their lives for the rest of their lives while they're, you know, they'll be adults and still coming to you guys. I think that that is a really important part of legacy that can be overlooked, like putting key adult figures into children's lives so that they've got a connection. They've got someone to look to. And I'm, I just, I look around the group that my kids have as adult connections. Like, like Sione, Michael was like, dad, dad, you know, I saw this thing in uh, Tonga. Um, how can I send a message to Mr. Sione? And so we just hooked him up on messenger and, you know, like that's, that's a connection Michael has with a lot of amazing adults and, why would you not encourage that kind of thing? Putting people into your life that are going to draw you up and bring out your best and reveal character and provide advice and all of those sorts of things. I think mean, that's a real key part of legacy that you can, you can ensure that there's going to be people around even when you're gone, you know, or should the worst before you that, you know, your principles and your visions are going to be passed on to your children. I know that my dad did that with me with the school he selected. There were, my dad passed away when I was 11 and we still got, a lot of his values through the, the school that he'd selected for us and other people stepped into that gap that was left. Um, another one I just want to put out there is, you know, if you have kids, I think, and, or a, a wife, a partner, I think you should make sure you've uh, provisioned for them financially. So you should be, you know, taking care of your wills and life insurance and all that kind of stuff as well. Because certainly that was the situation for me growing up. The only reason we stayed in our house and were able to continue going to the school route was because my dad had taken care of those things. So that's an element of legacy that might not be obvious, but certainly, you know, you should take care of your responsibilities. Well, you're doing a great job, Mel. Um, 
you, you always sound like a freaking philosopher when you talk about certain <laughs> things. And I'm just like, oh, I, I can't really add anything else on there. So I'm going to pat you on the back. And uh, no, you, you, you're, you're a stout example of you, your legacy is not just about you. And you've always been open about that and sharing that of like, hey, my legacy is not just me. It's my family. It's my children. And the way, you know, I know Raph has said it, but the, the reflection from you to your kids is so amazing. I mean, I think you have some of the best kids I've ever met in entire life. I'm so impressed with where Annie is with her life uh, and what she has to overcome. And she's like one of the most upbeat, like, eh, no big deal, you know, and just gets through <laughs> stuff and then just goes bangs on some drums or plays piano. Um, and then Michael is just one of the most... Um, balanced and approachable and just so full of heart that's the, that's the word that comes to me when i hear michael is just so much heart with how he has grown up as a young man how he treats his sister uh how he is to you and Cheza. um you did a hell of a job man so if like your legacy was just on your kids alone you'd be a giant so i mean a giant to everybody else i know what kind of giant you would be but to everybody else is what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> well, that means a lot. I'll take that. Uh, take that to heart. Thanks, man. Mm -hmm. How about you, Mister Mike? What are you thinking about legacy for you? You know, how's the world going to be different a hundred years from now for you having been here? Yeah, I, I took some notes when I when I read that today, and uh, kind of realizing where I'm at currently. And what I've been through is already a part of my legacy, whether I wanted to acknowledge it or not. And uh, this is a cool exercise that I did back when I was in selection. There was a uh, retired guy that was kind of a mentor uh, to, to the class. And he came in and he, he actually talked about legacy. And he goes, you know, you need to realize where you're at in your life and what you've accomplished up to this point. Also what you've failed uh, and, and what the next step is. So everybody can kind of do this. This is really cool. But, you know, you can get as big or, you know, you can go up to the, to the world if you want. How many people are in the world? All right. You go to a whiteboard and, and you make a circle and you write 7 billion. Okay. Then you go, you know, for example, it's like, hey, I'm an American. So in the United States, there's 330 million. You make another circle. It's a little bit smaller. Then you go to, well, I'm a male. Right. And then you put that number in there. And you can get all these off Google or, you know, whatever and just get the numbers. And then you can literally keep going all the way down. Well, I wanted to join the military. Okay. How many people say they do? That's a circle. How many people actually try? That's a circle. How many people actually make it? That's a circle. Now I want to go to the next level. Now I want to go into special operations. How many people say it? How many people pass? How many people actually do it? And you can go all the way down until it's literally like a dot and you fill up an entire whiteboard. And when you kind of take a step back and look at it, you're looking at, the circles of your legacy and every barrier that you've been through. And you can do this with anything that you do, you know, and really take a step back and look at it and be like, yes, they're not words, but these circles are part of my legacy of everything that I've passed through in order to get where I'm at right now. And it's already at that really tiny dot, like the number that's getting down, you know, like Raph said, for me, uh, when I got promoted, uh, it was like, holy hell, to realize where I'm at uh, for how many guys are actually in my community versus how many guys actually get promoted to that rank is less than 0.1%. I mean, and, and to sit back and be like, wow, I'm part of this. Also, I've talked about with professional football teams, you know, like there's only 32 teams in the NFL. And I talked to some of these guys and my friends on the team, and I'm just like, realize you are the starting person you're the only one, and there's only so many players in this entire world, and you're one of them. How special is that? You know, it's very cool when you take a step back and really look at the big picture all down. Um, so anyway, if you do that exercise, you go through and realize what you've been. I did that today, and there were some words that popped up in my head that I would hope people would, if they read my story, these words would come back. Uh, resilient, compassionate humble, a warrior, and authentic. Um, those words mean a lot to me in all that I do. 
in no way, shape or form am I perfect, man. I've, I've messed up so many times on every level and been beaten to my knees and, you know, everything. But, um, if, if it was looking at the tombstone, if you were to go to my best friends, uh, you know, if I passed away tomorrow and you go up to any one of them, I would hope that my legacy demonstrated that no matter where I was at or who I was around, I always chose to bring them up with me that I never wanted to beat anybody down or make them worst. Um, that I was kind of a light in a, a dark time in their life and that I was a positive that, Hey, here, here comes Mike. And in some way, shape or form, he's, he's kind of lifted me out of the darkness or has at least show me the ladder of like where I could climb out, you know, cause I, I hate, I hate hurting other people. Um, and I, I love seeing people rise to something bigger. And uh, also, too, is just kind of, uh, I don't know if it's really a word, but kind of like I said with Raph, it's an unspoken thing when uh, if somebody was to come up and ask, you know, you two, and I was gone. Um, hey, what do you think about Mike? It would almost, I would kind of want people to just have this good feeling that came across them, not, not necessarily a word, but just like, I don't know, if you were to sum it up, just be like, that's a good dude. You know, uh, it's hard to describe, but I don't know. It's the best way I can, I can explain it. Um, and then I also agree with what you said, Melon, you know, and, and Raph uh, with, with your kids, you know, they say, you know, I don't have kids and I've said that before, but any, any child that I come into contact with, uh, that's the next generation. That's the next, that's the next step. Uh, whether it's the military and you're passing the torch on to the next generation of warriors, or you're passing it on to the next part of your family or even your friends, kids or anybody else, like they're going to take the reins. And uh, you know, they say, when you teach your kids, you, you automatically teach your grandkids and your great grandchildren all the way down, because whatever you pass, they're going to pick up and be like, Hey, this is right. Or this is how life's supposed to be or how you're supposed to be a man. Um, so I, I, I revel in those opportunities. Uh, and I, and I love the opportunity to have the positive effect on the next generation and be able to show them what's right, what's wrong, give them the framework from struggles and be like, Hey, choose the hard, embrace the hard because it's going to, you know, you're solidifying a future that many can't even fathom, you know? So that's the best I can kind of do. Melon, I know you were going to say some, so I'll just say mine real quick. I honestly think that if you were to, to pass away right now, Mike, the first thing that would come out of my mouth is whoever asked me like, Hey, did you know him? I was like, well, yeah, but more importantly, he owed me $20 uh, before he <laughs> went. So if he could just, if he could just help pay his debts. I'd be uh, uh, greatly appreciated. And then the other thing <laughs> is I heard, I heard this years ago, man, probably decades ago. And, and, and it's always stuck with me. And I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of truth to it. And that's that people don't remember what you say specifically, but they do remember how you made them feel. Right. And uh, I think that that's why when you, you talk about like, um, you know, you, there's no words for it, but you hope that the emotion that it evokes when you hear somebody's name is, you know, and then you kind of describe the, the feelings. It's, it's because that's kind of what, you know, that's kind of what most of us, like when you think of a person, you know, I couldn't remember, ask my wife, I couldn't, I really couldn't tell you the last 20 things she said to me with, you know, within a day or two ago. You just, you just stepped it, on your own landmine there, but I'm, I'm just, but she knows it. She knows I'm a complete dummy. And, um, but you know, at the end of the day, she makes me feel amazing. So, uh, I guess that should count for something, but I think, again, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think, um, if you think about it, that's, that's literally how we function, right? You think of somebody, you're like, that person makes me feel good. Or that person makes me feel like a jerk. I don't want to be around them, but I think that's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, uh, it's very, the emotions carry a lot more. Like you said, it's not really like, ah, I don't remember what we did 10 years ago with this specific thing or the argument that we had. Yeah. All I know is at the end of the day, when I went home, I, I just felt grateful to have you in my life and you know, whatever it might be. And, and that's, that feeling is something to cherish because I think we could all agree, man. We, we've, we've all seen people that don't even feel a damn thing and they just float through life. And it's just like, what? what are you doing? You're wasting so much. Like, like acknowledge, acknowledge this. This is a good thing. Go ahead, Melon. I'm just going to jump in and say that 
I, I think your legacy, Mike, is, you know, you've said a lot of really great stuff. They're resilient, compassionate warrior. I would also say that you are calm. You're a leader. You're inspirational. You're emotionally aware and you offer an example of healthy masculinity. And I think that this is something very, very special for someone in a position that you're in now and where you're going to be in the next five to 10 years that people look to you and that you are going to be able to impart, just as Raf has been saying, the way that people are left feeling, not necessarily the words you say or the actions that you undertake, that everything is okay, that people are whole and complete the way they are. They don't have to change or put on a mask around you and that you show people how men in a very, you know, alpha environment can still be healthy men with whole and balanced, emotionally confident, competent without carrying flaws and hiding and repressing stuff. I think that that's, that's a huge legacy that you are just leaving in your wake the whole time at the moment. And I want to acknowledge you for that element. There's not many people, there's not many people I don't think in, you know, in these really hard charging sort of masculine environments who are really healthy and whole and with no areas that are repressed, who are totally like able to be an open book and let other people around them do that as well. You know what I, to kind of add to what you just said, Mel, and what I find fascinating, I really, it's just a privilege for me because I had the front row seat when I met Mike 10 years ago. Um, it, you know, the fact that I saw him, I saw his evolution from the very, like, you know, I saw him as a young operator kicking down doors. And it's funny because you just said, I, you know, I don't hate anybody. And then back in my mind, I was like, well, you do hate insurgents because I've seen that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, but it's, it's been, you know, you talk about swelling with pride and almost like a, a proud older brother. Um, but I have seen you evolve, like not just professionally, but really more importantly to me, I, like as a, as a human being, like I, and it's, and it's been amazing to watch like the transformation because you know, where you're like the fact that you are where you are is not by mistake, right? It, like you forged it through pain and trials and tribulations and uh, too many pitfalls to, to talk about and you know uh not that i was reveling in your in your in your dark times but knowing that i was there to kind of help you when you needed it right when you reached that i was i was one of the guys that got the phone calls but to sit but it's really amazing to look back and be like it's not that you were a different person but you're just a you know we're all complicated human beings but you just you evolved in such a way and you forged in the right direction and there's so many paths you could have taken. So it's really, it's really cool. Like I said, I'm the proud older brother. Like I look back and I'm like, dude, you've, you chose the right path. It doesn't matter how hard it was and how much you fell. Um, you, you just refused to, you refused to stay down and you kept making improvements. And it was, it's been pretty fascinating to watch. Well, <clears throat> thanks man. And uh, you know, just two things I'll say about that is one, I didn't do it by myself. So my legacy is not always about me. You know, like you guys have referenced, it's not just about me. It's about everybody that's that's with me and my story will be told. And also when I look at that stuff, you know, having every opportunity to be the biggest piece of shit and just give up and just bury myself and in, in everything. Who the hell wants to read that story? Who wants to tell that story about the fall the fall of a man about how life and everything else chewed him up and beat him down to the, to the point where he just gave up and led a dark, pointless life and wasted his time. Nobody wants to read that story. And I refuse. I refuse for that to be mine. So I surround myself with the people that are, that think the same way. And, you know, all we want to do is write the next chapter and make sure the next one's better than the last. And that's, that's the best thing I could ask for. Well, good for you, man. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Like this world we're living in now, you know, if you look at the anthropologists, when they go back through all the, uh, all the human bodies that have ever been dug up and the amount of violence, the number of uh, people who, you know, the skulls were, were staved in or ribs are broken or whatever. They're able to assess the, the percentage of them that died through violent 
you know, for violent reasons. And it's just a continual reducing uh, exponential curve. And we're in this amazing world with electricity and water and food and so on. And there's massive progress that's being made all the time. If you're unsure about that, go and look at some of the UN goals that have been achieved that were like absolute moonshots. You never would have made it. And realize we're, we're, in, we're part of a transition. We're one link in a chain, hopefully out far into the future. And our job is to try and make things a bit better for the people who come after us. The same way that our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who all strived and grafted away in much harder circumstances than we are, you know, hand-to-mouth hunter-gatherers and, and people farming all day, every day while the sun's up to give us this opportunity. And we want to pass it on a better, in a better state to our kids and grandkids. And, you know, long may that chain continue after us. So it's a very valid thing to think about what is your legacy. And we would encourage all of you to, to sit for a little while and think about what is the world going to be like a hundred years after you're gone? You know, how is the world going to be different and, and what can you do to make it a, a positive? And definitely it's going to be hearing us talking about trying to impact other people around us in a positive way. And, um, you know, quite words of encouragement here or there. Why not be that person on the flight, encouraging the flight steward to go and have a flying lesson? I mean, that's an example. So, so good on you. So we would love to hear from all of you, your thoughts on legacy. We will also put in the, in the show notes if there is a charity yet for uh, making contributions to the people in Tonga who are affected by the volcano and tsunami. And if not this week, we'll pass it on uh, and put it in the, the next week. But thanks very much for stopping. We appreciate all of your support and your time. And uh, until next week, take care. <laughs>